Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. G'day, Mike Hussey here, but you can call me Mr. Supercoach. KFC Supercoach BBL is back and there's 25 grand up for grabs. So what are you waiting for? Play today at supercoach.com.au. T's and C's apply. New South Wales authorisation number TP slash 01005. Sporting Life with Peter Donegan. And what a pleasure it is to have you for another edition of This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funeral Celebrating Lives. And today we celebrate the life of another great Australian athlete, sports person. And my guest today is a dual international, one of those rare breed of sports people who excel at more than one sport. She excels at at least two and probably more than that. Elise Perry is my guest. Elise, lovely to have you on the show. Oh, thanks very much for having me. Now, we actually find you at home. What's that feeling like? You wouldn't know what it's like, would you? <laughs> um, no, it is a little bit foreign to me at the moment, um, having been away for the last seven weeks or so. But um, also really nice, besides the fact that I've got a mountain of uh, housework to do. Um, yeah, it's cool to be back in my own bed for a little bit. Righto. What's the one thing around the house that you really have noticed that has gone off a bit in that seven weeks that you've been away that you really need to attend to? Uh, probably my least favourite chore, which is vacuuming. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> plenty of dust is collected um, in the house, but um, it's not too bad, fortunately. So um, I'll get into that at some stage once I work up the courage. Where do you put ironing in the rotation? Because I've got to say, <laughs> my, my least favourite is probably ironing even in front of vacuuming. <laughs> well, it's funny you should mention that. Uh, we had some family around uh, for Christmas uh, last year, and uh, we're going out for um, for a, a meal, and one of one of our family members asked for the iron and <laughs> looked at me, and I realised we didn't even own an iron. Um, so, <laughs> <laughs> so that's where it sits in my uh, in my list of chores. But um, since then, we've invested in an iron, and it sits in the cupboard somewhere. But uh, I can safely say I haven't used it yet. Uh, so all of this <laughs> travelling you do, and I do a fair bit of travelling in my job as well, and you go to some mm-hmm. hotel where you've supplied an iron and some hotels where the iron is not supplied so I guess it doesn't really make any difference to you one way or the other. Um, yeah, not really. Fortunately, I, I suppose the majority of the clothing I wear is um, training gear and yeah. sports clothing. I think the most formal we often get is a polo shirt when we're travelling. So um, I go by the theory of if you hang it up in the um, wardrobe as soon as you get somewhere, um, all the creases should eventually drop out of it by the time you need to put it back on. Now, you and I are kindred spirits then, because when I get things out of the suitcase, <laughs> that's exactly what I do. I reckon that's the way it's got to go. <laughs> Yeah, well, uh, I'm certainly a minimalist when it comes to ironing, so <laughs> I'm happy to uh, subscribe to that theory. How do you go with packing? Are you, are you a good traveller? Do you enjoy travelling? Because obviously it's part of your life now, and uh, some people embrace it, others see it as part of the job, and other people hate it. Where do you fit into that? Mm. 
Um, no, I absolutely love it. I think um, there's so many amazing experiences associated with travel and um, I suppose, you know, the way it broadens your own um, view of the, the world and um, the way things work. I've, I've always really enjoyed uh, the travel. I mean, some places um, are harder than others when you're going to play play sport and, and trying to perform. Um, you know, obviously places in the subcontinent can make that really tricky um but they're still wonderful experiences and um yeah i certainly enjoy it and i'm a bit ocd when it comes to folding um so i quite enjoy packing a suitcase and getting it all neat and tidy so that doesn't bother me either sport these days is so professional because um it's a 24 hour seven seven day a week job when you actually get to travel to these places do you ever get any downtime or is it all you're either playing or training um, oh, there's a lot of playing and training. I think on on really long tours, um, we'll often have a couple of completely free days. So, um, you know, for example, on on most recent Ashes tour, we played um, straight after the Test match. We had two days of, of cricket free um, time. So, you know, we didn't actually see each other for those two days. It was sort of up to you what you wanted to do and. Um, we we do that quite regularly on on really big tours. So um, whenever that's the case, when we're overseas, I'll always try and go and do something a bit touristy or or see a new place um, and and do something that's that's more related to to travel than um, than playing cricket. But um, yeah, for the most part, you, you see a lot of um, a lot of hotels and training grounds. Um, and and then sometimes if the, the schedule permits, you might tack on a little bit of a holiday at the end of a series, um, which I always really enjoy. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's funny because I think you probably get a slightly different appreciation for a country or a place that, um, when you go and play play sport there than you would, I suppose, when you're, you're being a tourist or just travelling through an area. Um, you probably deal with a lot more locals when you're when you're on tour with sport and um, kind of get to know different aspects of the culture than you might if you were just going to the touristy places. So um, it has its pros and cons, but certainly um, I've got to know a lot of good. Um, training fields and gyms and hotels <laughs> in areas that often not all the all the major sites. So, what about with your other half, Matt, who is a, a professional sportsman himself, and he travels a lot, obviously with um, with his profession. Do you two get the time to play tourists, like you said, uh, or do you not feel inclined to get on another plane because that's what you do for your <laughs> job? Um, no, we both really love. Um, travel and Matt's actually based in the UK at the moment um, playing for, for Leicester in the um, Premiership Rugby Comp over there so that's a little bit of a gateway to, to Europe so um, we've kind of found ourselves whenever I'm over there and we've got a, a few spare days um, popping off to somewhere in Europe and, and trying to I guess tick off a, another place that we haven't been to um, and yeah whenever we've had um, I guess our annual leave as well we'll always try and find a place and um, spend a few days um, travelling together we really enjoy that and I think that's one of the things that we've really wanted to make the most of um, you know with with our careers um, both you know whilst we're, we're playing so you know if I've got a, a bit of time off and Matt's on tour I'll, I'll try and meet up with him wherever he is and vice versa with Matt but then yeah also with him being located in the UK at the moment a, a big part of that was being able to go and see different places and, and do things outside of sport when the time permits so yeah we really like our travel um, but I think we're also um, I suppose juxtaposedly quite um, big homebodies as well in between that so we, we probably don't go out a lot but um, yeah if we, we go and do something we'll, we'll travel.
Long distance relationships are hard for anyone, but is it made a little bit easier by the fact that you have empathy with each other? You're both professional sports people. You know the demands of the job. Does that help ease the pain of being on different sides of the world? Um, Yeah, I think it definitely does. And I think on top of that, um, the fact that we're both very much in love with our careers and um, really want to make the most of something that, um, you know, I think doesn't last particularly long in the scheme of things in your life um, because sport's such a, uh, well, you know, a fickle industry to be involved in and, and also, um, you know, you, you're only, um, I guess, young and, and fit and um, capable of, of playing an elite level for a small part of your life as well. So, um, yeah, it, it's definitely, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, pick it um, as my first choice to do a long distance relationship but um, as you said it's definitely made a lot easier by the fact that we both very much love what we're doing and then I guess um, have very similar experiences and empathy for what one another um, has to do in terms of commitments and what, what we go through um, so yeah um, it, it's sort of one of those things that I think we just want to make the most of while we can and, and hopefully we'll make up for the time that we've spent apart um, once we're old and unfit and very um, probably <laughs> injury-prone. <laughs> yeah, I think you've both got a fair way to go before you get to that stage yet. Now, I'm going to talk about that innings that everybody has been talking about uh, in uh, a bit more detail later in the program, but uh, now that you've made the double hundred, you can't stop making hundreds. You said you were playing for New South Wales, or you made, a, I think, 127 not out for New South Wales last week. Um, yeah, um, over in Perth, which was which is really nice. We had a, a successful weekend. Um, we played WA on Saturday and then ACT on Sunday, and they were both actually pretty crucial fixtures for us in the, the one-day domestic comp. So, um, yeah, it was nice to spend a bit of time out in the middle, out the middle. I always enjoy batting over in Perth where the wicket's a bit harder and, and bouncier. So, um, yeah, it was nice to sort of have a successful weekend. Do you keep half an eye on what's going on in the Ashes series as well, like the rest of the country? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, it was a great first test for Australia, uh, which is wonderful, and we followed that pretty closely. Um, uh, I think we've probably got a bit more of a vested interest in the, in the team too with um, one of my best friends, Elisa Healy. Her husband, Mitch Stark, is obviously in the Australian team, so we followed them pretty closely, and um, yeah, it was really nice to see them start as well as they did. Now, just on the Ashes, we will talk about that in more detail later in the program, but the fact you've you've got the Ashes now, so you've done that, but I think uh, the way the series is constructed, I think I'm right in saying that the points came out equal at the end. Did you, mm. did you want to knock them over by just that one point, just to, to put an exclamation point on the victory? <laughs> yeah, absolutely we did. Um, it was a pretty incredible series in the end, um, so... Yeah, for, for anyone who, who does, is not aware, basically our, our Ashes series is a, a multi-format um, tournament where you play three one-dayers, a test match, and then th- three T20s, and they're all worth points. Um, the one-dayers and the T20s are worth two points each, and the test match is four. So essentially we won two of the one-dayers, England won one, we drew the test, and then they won two of the T20s, and we won one. So it ended up eight all um, which was, um, yeah, I guess a, a pretty good reflection of how competitive and tough the series was. But um, in saying that, yeah, I think we were pretty disappointed in the end to, to not, um, I guess, be outright winners of the series on the points table. 
Um, but, you know, that's cricket and um, England are a very good side at the moment. They're the current world champions in the 50-over in the comp, so we knew it was going to be a tough battle. But we probably just, you know, let it slip, particularly in that last T20 where we scored um, a great total and then just couldn't defend it. So, uh, yeah, it was a tough series and, um, yeah, a shame that it ended up 8-all, but, you know, it was really nice that we retained the Ashes. Yeah, that's the main thing at the end of it. Now, just before we take a break, you don't bump into the England players in pubs and they greet you with a Liverpool kiss and uh, nothing, <laughs> nothing of that sort of thing going on? Uh, no. <laughs> Unfortunately, I've never been on the receiving end of, of <laughs> a Liverpool kiss from any of the English players. <laughs> it's a different greeting, really, isn't it? It's not one that uh, sprang to my mind originally when you just go and say hello to someone and they greet you that way. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's never sprung to my mind either, but I've always maintained that the English are slightly different to us. So, yes. um, yeah, it's not surprising. <laughs> and long may it remain that way too, from our point of view anyway. Yeah. Elise Perry is my special guest on This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funeral Celebrating Lives. We'll take a break and be back to talk to Elise about where it all began in just a moment. You're listening to This Is Your Sporting Life with Peter Donegan. And what a delight it is to have Elise Perry as my guest on the last edition of This Is Your Sporting Life for 2017. In lots of ways, we've saved the best till last. Elise, tell us where the journey all began. Was it Warunga in New South Wales where you came into the world? Uh, it was, yes, at the Sydney Adventist Hospital there um, in Sydney's North Shore. So that was the start of things for me, I suppose. <laughs> And parents, Kathy and Mark, were they sporting people as well? Uh, yeah, mum and dad are very much into their sport, um, particularly when they were younger. Um, and, you know, from my earliest recollections, we were always out in the backyard playing some kind of sport or down at the local park or swimming pool, um, doing something active of a weekend or after school. But um, actually, my parents met uh, in a swimming pool. My dad's dad was a, a swimming coach and my mum was in one of his swimming squads and absolutely loved loved swimming and um you know would get up at crazy hours in the morning to go and go and train with my um my papa and my dad who's one of six uh used to get very begrudgingly dragged down to the pool <laughs> every morning um with his his siblings and, and have to train as well but um I think mum didn't really want to borrow that at that stage because um all she wanted to do was swim up and down down the pool but um I think they stayed in touch and ended up at uni together and um, I guess the rest is history as they say but um, yeah they've always been really sporty and, and shared a love of sport and I think they've transferred that on to both uh, myself and my brother. Now I'll talk to about your brother in a moment but speaking of swimming um, we look at you and we say how versatile are you how good to be able to represent your country at a couple of different sports but there's got to be something that you crap at. Now <laughs> uh, how's your swimming? Uh, not great. Not Good. great. I can breaststroke. I was always okay at breaststroke in right. the school swimming carnival, but the other strokes I'm not great at. Okay, well that makes yeah, us feel that makes us feel a whole <laughs> lot better that you're not good at absolutely everything. One other sport that I want to mention to you, netball. How'd you go at netball? Because every young girl has uh, played netball at some <laughs> stage. Yeah, I was also awful at that. Um, <laughs> I joined the Year 12 social team um, in my last year of school with a, a group of friends who had played netball for a number of years, and I was just, I was woeful. I couldn't kind of, I think probably coming from a soccer background, couldn't understand the whole concept of sort of no contact and not, you know, running with the ball and all those things. So um, I spent most of the time on the pine or, uh, yeah, uh, handing out drinks to the rest of the team. But um, there's plenty of things 
things I'm uh, not good at, that's for sure. Oh, yeah, I don't think there'd be too many, but rest assured that does make the rest of us mere mortals feel just a little bit better about ourselves when we're not good at anything. You talked about your brother, Elise, and mm. Damien um, probably had a bit to do with your f- formative years because you said you were always playing sport. In these days of women's yeah. sport, we often hear the female athletes now say that playing with boys or, or playing amongst the, the young men helped their development as professional sports people. Do you feel as though that mm. uh, Damien and being involved with him and playing sport with him mm. stood you in good stead for later in life? Yeah, I'm, I'm a firm believer in that as well. I think... Um you know, it's it's very um, specific to to the individual and um, I guess the young girl. But for me, um, firstly, uh, my brother's older, so he's three years older, and um, I was a little bit of a tomboy growing up. So I just wanted to do absolutely everything that he was doing. So I used to follow him around and and no doubt annoy him a lot. But um, you know, he was into cricket, so I wanted to try cricket. I remember, you know, the first time kind of coming across cricket was when my dad was showing him how to bowl in the backyard and. Um, you know, I wandered out and wanted to do the same. Um, he played tennis, so I wanted to play tennis. Um, you know, he did some running and swimming, so I wanted to do the same. All those kinds of things, I kind of followed him into it all. But also then when I was at, at primary school, a lot of my friends were, were the boys and they were um, joining local local sporting teams in, in cricket and, and soccer and touch football and doing little athletics. And, and I always just wanted to go along and do the same. And I think... Um, you know, being a part of boys' teams where every now and then there was another girl on the team or in the competition um, was really important for me in terms of my development. Um, yeah, I think boys are really great in the sense that um, they're very, they'll always um, be accommodating and welcoming you in if you just want to, if you kind of do what they want to do, or sorry, if you're, you're doing the same thing they want to do and, and you sort of show you can you can match it with them. Um, you know, they're very quick to, to uh, adopt you and um, accommodate you into the team. So I had some really wonderful experiences with that. And I think, you know, naturally two boys are probably a little bit more competitive, particularly when they're younger. And um, so it's good from, you know, a development point of view with your skills and, um, you know, being competitive in matches and um, all those kinds of things. So, um, yeah, I think particularly whilst, whilst um, I guess, the development of um, bodies are the same at, at a young age, I think, you know, if, if girls... Um, are comfortable doing it. It's it's a great thing for them to be part of, you know, mixed teams or boys boys teams in, in competitions. Big brothers are always very proud and very protective about their little sisters. I know that from experience with with my little <laughs> sisters. I bet he is exceptionally proud of you. He's probably your biggest fan. Um, yeah, he's been great. Um, we're actually really different, um, particularly I suppose as we got older, we've developed different interests. My brother's quite musical and um, into all kinds of. Um, I guess more alternative things like he's driven rally cars and, and likes his snowboarding and um, clay shooting and all those kinds of things, things that I'd, I'd be terrible at. Um, so we've kind of differed in our interests, but at the same time, we still um, have a great bond in terms of our childhood and growing up playing cricket. And I know he still loves watching cricket and, um, you know, certainly follows um, the teams that I play in. So, um, yeah, he's been great and he always flicks me a message or comes out to games when he can um, to support. So um, that's been great. What sort of a student were you at school? Did you like things apart from sport at school? Were you attentive as a student? Yeah, reasonably. I think probably in in primary school, I I was um, I was a decent student, but I was more interested in playing sport and 
just hanging out with friends at lunchtime and, you know, getting to the handball court first and um, shotgunning being in, in ace rather than in dunce. But um, <laughs> as, I, as I ended up, um, I went to, to Pimble Ladies College for, for my high school years and um, I think it was there that it really kind of um, dawned on me that there's so many different and varied opportunities in life and particularly growing up as a, as a kid in Australia, there's just so many wonderful opportunities for you and sport's one aspect, but, um, you know, there's so many other things. And, you know, I was really exposed to, um, you know, just what opportunities are out there in terms of, you know, seeing girls um, achieve wonderful things in debating and music and um, art and drama. And, um, you know, I think that really made me... Um, conscious of, of making sure that I um, had a go at those things and um, you know and, and also w- was attentive to to learning and um, you know doing the right thing academically as well so um, yeah I think I, I owe a lot to, to Pimble in terms of them shaping uh, my outlook on, on life but also giving me the, the chance to do whatever it was that I wanted to as well so I quite enjoyed school and um, yeah I look back at it very fondly. Well there's one thing I want to ask you about high school because it won't come as any surprise to anyone that you were the sports captain, the athletics captain, the cricket captain. But uh, my brilliant producer, John O'Nash, has put something in front of me which raised my eyebrows. You were also the political cartoon captain. Is that right? No. I don't know. Someone else mentioned that to me recently and I'd never even heard of such a title. Um, Right-o. Political cartooning at school, or not that I'm aware of, but um, it's funny you should say that because someone else said that to me recently and um, it made me giggle because uh, I don't know if that would have been um, <laughs> been something I'd put my hand up for, but um, nonetheless, it would have been an interesting position. Do you reckon it's one of those things, um, it's probably come from a Wikipedia page and there are certain people who are yeah. mischievous when it comes to Wikipedia pages, <laughs> so someone's just got into your yeah. bio and put that in there, and so forever now, when you're doing interviews, you're going be asked that same bloody stupid question that I just asked you. <laughs> well, if that's the case, uh, fair play to them, and I probably should come up with a better, yes. um, better story. Maybe I can talk about um, John John Howard's eyebrows, yes. having a particular um, <laughs> interest in drawing them, or something like that. All right, let's make a deal from this moment on, because you will be asked about that. So uh, yep. let's make a deal that you talk about John Howard's eyebrows whenever you uh, are asked about your career as the political cartoon captain. <laughs> All right, that's a deal. I'm All happy right. to do that. We'll Beautiful. have to develop a good story. <laughs> all right. Now, on to sporting matters. We mentioned all of those things that you were captain at when you were at school. What was the sport that you thought uh, that you were going to excel at? Was it always cricket or did football or, or soccer, as um, some people call it, uh, did that take over at any stage or was it always cricket? Um, oh, look, to be honest, it was probably always both, um, particularly um whilst I was at high school and, you know, even into my early 20s, um, both sports were, um, you know, wonderful in the sense that I'd had some some great opportunities um, in both. And I think, you know, the reason I'd stuck with those two rather than played other sports was that, you know, they offered a lot of 
a lot of opportunity to play, um, you know, in representative teams and, um, you know, progress further through the pathway. And, um, you know, I was really fortunate when I was in year 11 to um, make it to the, to the top of both those sports and, and play um, my first games for Australia in, in both cricket and football. And um, I think, you know, around that time, and as I said, leading into my early 20s, both the sports were probably what you'd term semi-professional. So, um, you know, base contracts had, had just come into the sport and um, a lot of the players were doing other things um, outside of outside of the sport. So whether they were they're still at school or studying at university or working um, full or part-time around, around their sporting commitments, um, that was sort of the landscape it was in. So, um, you know, I was really fortunate to still be at school and had the time to do both and, and absolutely loved doing both. And, yeah, I just kind of stuck with them. And, um, you know, for me, I guess I had some wonderful support as well from both cricket and football that that they were happy for me to keep pursuing both and playing both and um, you know on top of that my family and friends were great and um, school was great and helping me to juggle it so I, I just kind of went along with it and I didn't really have any inkling or aspiration just to play one sport I just wanted to keep doing both and I was I was loving it um, and I think it's been you know more recently in the last three or four years but both sports um, and I suppose you know particularly cricket um, has really developed into a full-time profession for, for the players particularly the Australian players so um, for me it kind of just naturally evolved but um, I got more opportunity in cricket I was probably a little bit better at cricket and um, and as the, the sport kind of became full-time for all the players it, it was just a natural tra- transition to, to stay involved with cricket and, and not do as much uh, football but I guess consciously I wasn't really um, making any kind of decision. I just kind of was going along with how things were evolving. I know this question is probably a bit akin to asking which one of your children you love the most, <laughs> but yeah. it, do you prefer one over the other? Is there, is there one that you just think, oh, well, if I could only play one, I'd play this one? Um, not really the sport itself. I think um, I really like them for, for different reasons. So um, the obvious one being that, that football is 90 minutes it's short sharp it's intense training's the same um and you absolutely you know spend after it physically um whereas uh, you know cricket particularly the longer formats you know they're they're long um arduous games um you know you kind of worn out both physically and mentally by the end of it and training takes a long time it's a you know real graft um often a lot of it is by yourself because whilst it's a team game a lot of the skills are quite individual so i've always liked them for different reasons um i think probably from an environmental point of view and, and just like a, a personality fit or a personal fit for me, I've, I've always felt a little bit more comfortable in, in cricket. But, mm-hmm. um, you know, I, I think I've loved soccer too because it's challenged me from that point of view. So, um, yeah, I mean, that's kind of... I'm still sitting on the fence and I haven't really answered any questions. <laughs> but, um, it's kind of been the way it's gone for me. You've talked about the choices that you had to make. When we come back on the other side of the break, let's explore that some more. Elise Perry is my guest on This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funeral, celebrating lives for more than 80 years. Back with more with Elise after the break. Yeah! 
You're listening to This Is Your Sporting Life with Peter Donegan. And it is a pleasure and a privilege to have Elise Perry as my guest on This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funeral Celebrating Lives. Elise, we spoke about your two loves, your two great sporting achievements, if you like, uh, cricket and football. Where do we stand at the moment between having to make a choice between the two of them? Is that something that the choice has effectively been made for you because of the, the coach of the Matildas at the moment? Or is it still something that you could actively pursue in years to come and be proficient at both sports? Um, I think it's probably got to the point where you, you couldn't play or I couldn't play um, both sports at the same time. Um, as I said, I think, you know, they've both evolved so much, as is a lot of women's sport in Australia, but also around the globe, to essentially be full-time professional pursuits. So, um, you know, I think contractually more than anything, it's not really possible. Um, once you sign a, a contract with one of those, the organisations, you, you potentially bound to them um, full-time for whatever the length of that contract is. But also I think, you know, where the standard is at and the commitment that it involves in terms of, you know, training and, and also um, fixtures. There's so many more matches these days for for national teams and, and different sporting competitions that it's probably not possible to play both simultaneously. Um, and I guess from, from my point of view, I've always felt that, you know, the the chance that I've had to, to play both sports at, at um, you know, the level that I have and the incredible experiences that have, have come as a part of that, um, you know, I've always been so fortunate. And um, in a lot of ways, I've, I've felt selfish doing it, um, but I've also kind of made the most of it. And I knew, you know, at some point that was probably going to stop and it, and it, it has now. And um, by no means do I feel um, aggrieved or like I've missed out on anything. I probably feel like I've um, pulled off at the biggest robbery of all time in a lot of ways so um yeah i mean it's probably where it is now and um yeah i'm really enjoying being a part of, of cricket and, and what's sort of been happening in that space and, and and certainly playing for the australian team so um yeah that's kind of where it is now but um into the future i don't really know i i haven't really thought about going back and playing more soccer but i i wouldn't rule it out either so in your mind at the moment do you feel as though you've played your last game for the matildas uh yeah i think so i mean even just looking at where the sides progress to and how incredibly well they're going and uh, what they're achieving um for me to get back to that standard would <laughs> probably take five or ten years of training in itself so um yeah, I, I can't see myself playing for the Matildas again. All right, let's talk about cricket then and let's talk about that innings that everybody was talking about just a few weeks ago. You hadn't made 100, but then you make 200. Or more to the point, you made 198 and you gave us a celebration <laughs> oh, that man. we're never going to forget. You knew this was going to come up because you will not be able to do an interview <laughs> after what happened. For the people who didn't see it, just tell us what happened. Uh. Oh, I'd love to. Um, can we go back to political cartooning, please? John Howard's eyebrows. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. Actually, I think he was in the crowd. Um, anyway, uh, yeah, so basically um, I was on 194 um, and we were, this have been nine down, so Megan Schultz was at the other end and um, there um, off spinner Laura Marsh was, was on and I'd sort of fancied there was a short boundary in uh, towards the mid-wicket area that I thought if she puts it in the spot, I might be able to take her over there. And um, she did. She put it in a, a pretty good spot for me. And I came down and I 
thought I hit the ball quite well. I, I probably hit it um, reasonably flat, but um, as I said, it was sort of a short boundary, so I, I felt like it had come off pretty well. And then um, the crowd just like erupted. So I I assumed, well, if they're cheering that loudly, it's gone for six, and um, and just went with it. And anyway, the theatrics ensued ensued in terms of me taking off my helmet and <laughs> hugging hugging Megan and pointing to the crowd and raising my bat to the, to our dugout and all those things that you do when you you're celebrating. And um, and then after that, it finished. The umpire sort of tapped me on the shoulder and said, um, actually, we're just going to come up and check if that went for four or six because uh, some of the people um, on the fence are signalling that it might have gone for four. And I was like, oh, my gosh. I was pretty mortified at that stage. Um, so, yeah, I just stood next to Sarah Taylor, the English keeper, and she kind of just laughed at me, and I was like, oh, oh well. And then very sheepishly put my helmet back on when the replay showed that it had indeed gone for four, and there was some distance between the boundary and uh, where it landed inside the rope, so it was four by quite a way. And <laughs> anyway, I was pretty mortified, but um, it was it was pretty good entertainment, I think, for for my teammates. Um, it's that footage has been shown in just about every team meeting since um, <laughs> since that day. And as you said, I've been asked about it numerous times in, in interviews as well. So. Yeah. I'm sorry to ask again, but the one thing that I do want to ask you is you you have to be thinking after that's happened, oh, no, what happens if I don't get to the 200? That thought must have crossed your mind. Um, you know, it was funny. I didn't really think like that. Um, really? I, I was just embarrassed that I'd done it um, more than anything. And it wasn't so much like, how can I make this even more embarrassing, which obviously would be then by getting out for under 200. But um, I was just kind of like, oh, dear, well, okay, that's happened. So I should probably just keep batting and just see what happens next. Um, and, yeah, you know, fortunately, I kind of got another opportunity at it. But it was, um, yeah, much more subdued celebration the second time around. Um, well, but, yeah, it was nice to get there. Yeah, rest assured, um, everyone might talk about the celebration, but everyone recognises what a brilliant achievement it was. And you mentioned Megan, who came in at number 11. She did a brilliant job to hang in there with you to, to allow you to get to the 200 as well. Yeah, she absolutely did. And um, Megan's quite a, um, I guess, stereotypical fast bowler in a lot of senses. She's got quite a, a hot head and she's always wanting to um, take the game on. And, um, you know, that transfers definitely into her batting. So um, for her to um, play, I think it was three or four um <laughs> Three or four defensive strikes in a row, and you know, basically dead at the ball was pretty. Um, I think it took a lot of self self restraint from from her, so it was um, it was really cool. And the crowd cheered every time she did it, so I think she was pretty stoked about it as well. From an individual point of view, was that your crowning moment, or have there been other moments that matched that in your cricket career? Um, I think, yeah. I mean, certainly. Even, you know, when it's team success, but being a part of, um, you know, World Cup victories and, you know, winning Ashes series have always been the biggest moments and the most special moments of, of my career. Um, you know, I think because you get to celebrate with people, um, you know, and, and your teammates that you've, you've kind of gone through everything with and, um, you know, they're always the most special. But um, probably the biggest highlight of, of that test match and, um, you know, that innings was... The incredible crowd and the atmosphere that we had at North Sydney across those four four days, um, you know, it's 
by far and away the biggest game of cricket I played in, and, and particularly Test match cricket. It was the first ever, um, you know, day night Test match for women, um, and we had twelve thousand odd people come through the gates over the four days, and just created such a, a special atmosphere on the on the hill there at North Sydney Oval. And um, I think you know, seeing that occur and and what that actually means for, for women's sport and, you know, more specifically women's cricket in Australia and just how far it's come and um, how supportive people were of it and, and how much they enjoyed it. Um, I think that was the most special thing about it and what um, was the true highlight of the day, really. We'll take our final break and then we'll come back and talk about where women's sport is in this country at the moment. Elise Perry has been at the forefront of women's sport for a long time. She is my guest. Our final segment with Elise on the other side of the break. You're listening to This Is Your Sporting Life with Peter Donegan. And our final segment with Elise Perry. Elise, we spoke about women's sport in this country and in recent years in particular, it has exploded in uh, exposure, in popularity and, of course, the pay packets have expanded accordingly. Were you surprised with the the speed that it seems to have happened in recent years when it was so slow happening in previous years? Um, yeah, look, I think certainly the last uh, 18 months to two years have really been um, watershed um, you know, moments and, and, and a real watershed period for, for women's sport in Australia particularly. Um, yeah, there was a lot of steady progress and development over, I think, yeah, well, since I've been involved and probably before that for the last 10 or 15 years. Um, but, uh, yeah, it probably caught everyone off guard a little bit that, you know, how quickly it then suddenly all really evolved and um, trans- oh, progressed in, in the last couple of, couple of years. Um, it was sort of just waiting to happen and, and all of a sudden it kind of just happened and since then it's just exploded. And, um, you know, I guess in a lot of ways it it kind of mirrors what's happened in, in society more general and, you know, in, in other um you know, aspects of life, whether that's sort of corporations and major companies or in government. Um, I think, you know, the whole emphasis on diversity and, um, you know, equality across across the board in society has, has really um, been mirrored in, in sport and a lot of the major sporting organisations in Australia, like cricket, um, AFL, um, soccer, have really recognised, um, you yeah, this incredible opportunity to, to capture, um, you know, first and foremost, more... more more of the market share, I guess, in terms of you know fifty percent of the population being women and and how they can get um, you know women involved in, in their sports. So whether that's playing or you know being spectators and fans or umpires or volunteers or administrators, um, you know sports doctors and physios, they all play a role. So I think that's really happened, and, and the amount of investment that's um, then gone into women's sport accordingly has been um, just incredible. So I think there's been no better time to be a female athlete than right now. And I'm sure being the role model that you are, you are sought out by a lot of young girls coming up through the ranks, and you must be able to see in their eyes that they now have a career path in front of them, the possibility of a career path, whereas when you were coming up through the ranks, you... No doubt you wanted to play at the top level, but you probably never really thought that you'd be able to earn a living out of it. And and the money that was being paid in those days, you wouldn't have been able to. Um, yeah, you're right. Um, <laughs> the way it's um, yeah, 
it's developed is just incredible. And um, there's no better time to be um, a female athlete than right now. But I think um, more importantly, it's going to be even better in you know five, ten years' time when when these young girls are coming through. And um, it's it's certainly been a big change that I've recognised. Even the fact that I suppose you know we're more visible now because the games are on TV, they're covered in the media a lot more. So it means that, yeah, these young girls, um, and boys for that matter, but particularly girls, know that there's an opportunity to, to make sport a career if, if that's what they want to do. And I think I've probably really noticed a change in some parents' attitudes as well in terms of mm. um, recognising the effect that you know, sport and, and being involved is having on, on their young daughters and, um, you know, just how important it is for, for their childhood and, you know, for them to lead, uh, you know, first and foremost, a healthy and active lifestyle, but secondly, you know, um, chase their dreams and, and aspirations. And just finally, we've talked a lot about cricket. We've talked a lot about the round ball code and your proficiency <laughs> yeah. at both. Do you reckon we might be able to talk you into... Now, I know you were born in New South Wales, but do you reckon we could get you into <laughs> AFLW at some stage? How do you reckon you'd go uh, there? Someone's going to have to teach me to drop punts first <laughs> because I'm no good at it. Um, but, no, I don't I don't think so. Um, I've really enjoyed watching um, some of the AFLW, actually, and um, I've got a couple of teammates in both cricket and, and football. But, if, um, yeah transferred over to the um, to AFLW as well but um, I've watched a few games those girls are way too tough for me and way too physical <laughs> so I think I'll stick to stick to cricket at the moment and one last question because of who you are because of what you do you are a very marketable commodity for whichever sport it is that you're in does that sit comfortably with you is that something that you enjoy or is it something that you feel as though you simply have to do because that responsibility has been put on your shoulders um, well, it's probably neither, to be honest. I think, um, you know, first and foremost, I just love playing sport and love being a part of teams and, and being an athlete. And, um, yeah, honestly speaking, I probably enjoy training just as much as I, I enjoy playing. Um, it's kind of just, yeah the way I, I guess I'm made up and a lot of people give me a lot of stick for how much training I do and how much I love doing it but I think that's always been my, my biggest passion and enjoyment but having said that I think um, you know one of the things that, that makes sports so special and being involved in it is that there's so many opportunities outside of you know the training paddock or, the, or playing that um you know, you'd never get otherwise. And I think I've always been really resolute in making the most of those opportunities because, you know, we were talking earlier about your career being so fine in sport and those things disappear pretty quickly. So I've really enjoyed, you know, the opportunity to work with various sponsors and, and do, you know, corporate things and, I guess, um, challenge myself in other areas. So, you know, without their support, you know, a lot of um, a lot of what we do, you know, in terms of training and playing probably wouldn't happen either. So, um yeah, it's, it's kind of just part of it, I think. And, um, yeah, there's things I enjoy about it, things that sometimes are a bit of a drag. But, um, yeah, they all kind of add up to a great experience in, as a whole. Well, we've enjoyed being able to spend the last hour with you. You're an inspiration to a lot of uh, young people, both male and female, with what you've been able to do. Congratulations on the double century. Congratulations on everything you've been able to achieve in your career. And don't forget John Howard's eyebrows. <laughs> And then I'm drafting, I'm drafting my story as we speak. I might even have a go at drawing them soon as well. Well, send us a copy and we'll put it out on our, on our Twitter feed. Um, Elise, it's been brilliant to have a chat to you. Thank you so much for your time and well done.
thanks for having me on, Peter. I appreciate it. Elise Perry, our special guest. And uh, in lots of ways, we've saved the best till last for 2017. That is the last edition of the show for 2017. But don't forget, over the next few weeks, you'll be able to hear some of our favourite interviews for the year replayed on the same time slot on This Is Your Sporting Life. So we'll join you next week for one of our favourite interviews. Thanks for being with us throughout the year. And thanks to Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. It's Ty Power's Big Footy final sale. To kick things off, you can get the power to buy three and get one free on selected Toyo passenger car and SUV tyres. Ty Power's Big Footy final sale can't last. Visit typower.com.au now.